Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Glad to see you today. What a beautiful morning it is. What a beautiful morning to worship the Lord. If you're able, would you stand and uh, I hope you can sing with me.
eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For I believe in the Cross 
turning back, no turning back, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no that are mainly over at the Marine Corps Air Station, uh, Miramar, are young families. They're away from their own families, and you know, having a baby can be a little bit of a daunting experience. So we provide baskets for these families. The baby baskets are comprised of a lot of different little baby items. We have baby gowns, little onesies, little booties. We have the normal things like baby wipes or baby powder, baby lotion. And we try and give these baby baskets out every month. So it's wonderful to be able to stand in that gap for a moment to be able to donate that sort of thing to them. And they're so appreciative. The idea that others would care and have compassion, that's what Jesus wants us to be, is compassionate. We respect our service members so much because of what they do for our country, the sacrifices that they make, that we want to be able to give back. They are our neighbors, and we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to be able to bless them and to encourage them and let them know that there are people who do love them and care for them. Well, good morning, and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We're so glad you're here uh, joining us to worship God this morning. Whether you're here in the sanctuary, out on the patio, or joining us online, just welcome. Um, if you are here in person, you got a bulletin when you walked in, and on the bottom of that bulletin, on one side, is a, uh, a connect card where you can give us your name, email address, phone number, um, and that's just the best way to get us uh, to get on our email list because you need another newsletter. Um, this newsletter, though, has really good stuff. You can unsubscribe to all the other newsletters, but this one you want to be on. Um, and then on the bottom, there's a, a comments section where you can just tell us if, there's, if you're, you're wondering if our church does a certain kind of class or, or you need something, any kind of uh, comment you can make there. And then on the other side, on the bottom, is a prayer card. And we would just love to join you in prayer, whatever you're going through. Life is a, is a windy road with lots of potholes and um, a few really nice views. Um, so we'd love to join you praying for the good things and through the hard things. Um, so don't try and do it alone. Um, let us pray for you. 
And then on the, um, on the top of the bulletin on one side is a, an announcement for Community Thanksgiving. Um, this is an event we did last year and was a blast. There were about uh, 20 of us on Thanksgiving Day and um, just a fun time. If you're planning on celebrating alone or in a small group, just come do it with us um, and it'll be a blast. Uh, and that's from 1 to 3. And you do have to RSVP. Um, you can, I think, on, uh, you can grab a card and it has the web address, but um, it's ljcc.org slash community dash Thanksgiving. Um, and we'd just love to have you. So uh, let's continue worshiping with a, a message. Thanks, Rick. Well, uh, wow, this is this is the this is the the we're on the precipice of the of the big push, right? The end of the year, uh, seasonal, all this kind of stuff, and um, I just thank the Lord that Mariah Carey sings songs that everybody hears two thousand times, because by the time you come here on Christmas Eve, you won't hear any of them. You'll hear some songs you never hear. Uh, but this is a great time of year. I love the fact that we do the, the baby baskets. We're always coming up with different ways to respond to people's real needs. Uh, we, over the years, we've bought entire farms of Christmas trees from Oregon and <laughs> given trees away. So as you think about the things that you are involved in, um, let us know about them. I think we really need to know the kinds of things that are moving you to do things that we would call missional, things that represent God's love and compassion in the community. Uh, in a couple weeks, we're going to do an amazing thing uh, on December 2nd, where we not just have a giant, fun gathering of people, uh, be hundreds of people gathering, but uh, it's an alternative gifts market, looking at the needs in our, in our community. Some of the needs that are represented by amazing, and I, keep, I don't want to overuse the word amazing, but uh, remarkable uh, people who are saying, I see needs in the community. I wonder if it has my name on it. A friend of mine this week just said, hey, I just closed Desco on a house in Escondido for unwed mothers, teen mothers. I'm thinking, who comes up with this stuff? I mean, it's just fantastic. And the, and the guy that was telling me about it is mad busy. But he said, you know, I kept hearing about this need, and, and I thought, what the heck, you know? I wanted to get some people together and do that. Uh, on and on and on and on it goes. Um, Jay, doing the sound back there, uh, works for Taylor Guitar, and he'll give you a free Taylor Guitar if you ask him. Um, <laughs> But, you know, Taylor Guitar provided a, a guitar for an event happening in Nashville, Nashville two weeks ago. And a woman named Lauren Daigle was playing this guitar. She plays one song, she signs the guitar, and then she auctions it off for 100 grand. Why? Because, and she was sick as a dog. She had turned down a concert the night before for 20,000 people and went to this event. Why? Because she said, this will touch children around the world who, who are not just in need, they're in danger. People are trying to take them into slavery, uh, abuse them, misuse them, and they live in war zones. So girls are now going, you know, are going to be going to school in Somalia because of, of this event that raised a, a lot of dough. And that was driven by a local person in San Diego. And I think it's fantastic to think about in this room the power we have to bless people, the power of compassion. And it's only going to happen if we learn to simplify our lives. Isn't that crazy? You think, wait. You're talking about things that sound very complex, very involved, and you're saying this is the result of a simple life? Mm-hmm, yeah. So this is uh, the beginning of a series we're doing to prepare ourselves for the inevitable, uh, the challenges, uh, the overwhelming details and demands of the holiday season. Uh, it's called The Power of Simplicity. And today I want to talk about how much is enough. Um, and we can make all, I will probably make all kinds of jokes about that. Never too much. You know, enough is just the beginning. You need more. 
Um, but, but I want that to settle in, the, the power of simplicity. It sounds like a contradiction in terms. Uh, simplicity sounds small and insignificant. I don't get the power in simplicity. Seems like a lack of power in simplicity. No. The power of simplicity starts with asking the question, how much is enough? Um, you're all going to be sad to hear that Vincent O'Mara passed away this week. I'm being facetious because nobody in this room knows who Vincent O'Mara is, um, but I wish he did. Vincent O'Mara died on Tuesday at, at the age of 88. Um, Tuesday, November 1. He lived in a village called Kalimer, K-I-L-L-I-M-O-R, uh, two hours west of Galway, of, of, of um, Dublin, on their way to Galway. So you're going from Dublin straight across west, Galway straight across west. Uh, he hit, hit uh, Kalimer, this little tiny town, 336 people in Kalimer. Vincent died on Tuesday. At, at 4 o'clock on Wednesday, 5,000 people showed up for his wake. Just put those numbers together. I've been reflecting on that this week. Vincent, 88 years old, dies on Tuesday. Within 24 hours, there's 5,000 people lining up to pay their respects at his wake. And a wake is simply what you saw everybody in England celebrate for the queen. We call that lying in state uh, if, you, if you are a billionaire sovereign. But for everybody else, it's called a wake. And wake, a wake is typically an Irish thing. Lots of countries have some version of it where you go to pay respects to people. Uh, it was a, an unusually horrible evening in terms of, uh, you think of Ireland as green for a reason. It, it rains a lot there, but this was like driving rain and wind. And so people waited f from 4 to 10 in this rain-lashed, wind-driven uh, evening to pay their respects. Vincent's family rallied and fed with tea and sandwiches of those 5,000 people. Sounds like a biblical thing, you know? The feeding of the 5,000. I've just been reflecting on that, thinking, what, how, why? Why would 5,000 people do that? Well, and they did it without complaining. In fact, while they were in line, they were telling Vincent O'Mara stories. Now, uh, Vincent, I want to tell you a little bit about Vincent. He was a master of the art of small gestures. Uh, small gestures like listening. Paying attention. If you were talking to him, he'd be paying attention to you in a way that wouldn't make you feel uncomfortable. It would make you feel like the most important person on the planet. Uh, so he, he, he was a master of these, of these small gestures that define civility and friendship and love. Do you know what a Greek makes for a, a very deep, passionate love life? Simplicity. The simplicity of being present. Because the, the gestures of love are not big moments. Here's your fur, here's your ring, here's the new this, here's the bigger that. The gestures of love are paying attention to people and loving them and being interested in them one day at a time, forever and ever. Amen. The gestures of love are powerfully simple. Everybody acts like it's such a big mystery. How do you, you know, fall in love, stay in love, you know, maintain that love? Uh, it's, it's actually super simple. Super simple. And, and uh, Vincent was a master of that. He lived a full yet uncluttered life. Uh, making room for people great and small. He went to the, uh, one of the most elite schools in, in, uh, in Ireland, Ross Gray, from which come leaders of the nation. 
uh, it didn't matter to Vincent who you were. If you were the Uber driver, you got as much attention as if you were uh, the prime minister. So he was that kind of person. Uh, he made everyone feel special because he was, he was interesting uh, and he was interested in them. Uh, sounds like the beer commercial, doesn't it? You're the most interesting man in the world. I, I think Vincent O'Mara is definitely a candidate for being one of the most interesting men in the world. Um, he filled a room when he walked into it. Uh, he was not a big guy. He was, he was a, a fairly uh, uh, diminutive guy, but he filled the room with his presence only because he walked in and inconspicuously just paid attention to people. And it was fascinating being with him. It was just really fun. One of my sisters would tell me that whenever she went to Ireland, she would first person she'd see was Vincent, and the last person she'd want to see is Vincent as she was leaving. He was just such a great guy. Uh, our kids um, you know, would say, oh my gosh, uh, Vincent O'Meara, what, what, a, what a man. What, what an incredibly inspiring person. And yet he was a gentleman. He wasn't a big, like I said, big personality. He didn't bowl you over. He just invited you in. And uh, he was wickedly funny, too. One time I heard him telling, um, he was talking about this complicated problem, big conflict between people and business and the community, and everybody was in an uproar, and it was just horrible. And finally, and he said, you know, but it all worked out. And I said, so how did it all, how did it all work out? It sounds super complicated. He goes, well, I believe money exchanged hands. You know, so he, he had these typical Irish kind of sum it up in a very uh, fun, funny way. Uh, he was a sophisticated man who lived a simple life, but not a superficial life. Put that together. A sophisticated man who lived a simple life, but not a superficial life. He was shaped by two things, three really, his family, the church, and the pub, because he owned a pub. Uh, so he's, his, he and his family have owned this pub for over 100 years in this little village. But he did other kinds of things, but that was something he, he did. And uh, it was that one of those things that shaped him, not from the aspect of, of over-drinking, but from the standpoint of a public house. A public house is a place that gathers people and welcomes them in. And it's like the original Cheers. If you ever saw that old show, uh, the, the, the original show Cheers, it, it was on for a long time, it was so memorable for, for a whole generation of people, it was birthed in an Irish pub in, in L.A. called Tom Bergen's. And they centered it in, in a pub in Boston. But how did, how did that, that thing come together? Because those people knew pubs like Vincent O'Meara's Pub, where everybody does know your name. And, and people are, are, are brought in to feel welcome. And he, was a, he was a man of God. He was, he was, there was no contradiction. He was a man of the pub and a man of God, and that's what his family was about. Uh, and he was good and generous in every way. Uh, he made everyone uh, feel like they were part of uh, his extended family. Do you like him so far? Do you wish you knew him? I just wish I could, I could spend more time with him. He puts a smile on my face. And uh, he put a smile on a lot of people's faces just being him in Christ, in Kalimer. <laughs> a simple life, right? And yet he could go anywhere and uh, be at ease and be at home. He was a great storyteller. He drew the best out of people. Uh, but living in Ireland, he saw a lot of heartbreak. Uh, he knew a lot of heartbreak because of, of what he saw and the people he cared for. And yet he managed to lift people's hearts. Uh, how did this all come together? Well, basically, he learned to right-size his needs, his wants, and his desires. 
He had high standards, but he, he set the bar really low for the fact that he would accept you as you are wherever you were. So he was really the embodiment of unconditional love and, and high standards. So if you talked to Vincent after a while, you'd come back feeling way smarter than you started. You'd walk away thinking that was really fun, and then you think, I just learned something. How did that get slipped in there? How did I just learn something? How did I walk away wanting to be a better version of me from being with him? And I didn't feel scolded or lectured. Uh, I didn't feel like I was being judged and, and evaluated. I just felt like I was being ushered into the presence of somebody who uh, walked with God in a way that didn't look like he was um, overbearing or mugging you in the name of Jesus. And he lacked for nothing that mattered in life because he embraced his life as a gift from God. Now I'm describing um, many of you here. Well, some of you. I'm probably one of you. I mean, I don't know. I'm no, this is, this is you, isn't it? This is who you aspire to be. And in your best moments, this is who you are. Uh, James speaks about our conflict, though, with becoming this kind of person. James, in, in, in chapter 4 of his letter to the church, James, the, uh, the uh, half-brother of Jesus. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Now, I, I very rarely uh, have spent any time in Kalimer. But I, can, I know enough about that small village of 336 people where I could show you where the antithesis of Vincent live. I could point out people, not to judge them, but just to say, I'm in. Um, I pray they become like Vincent because they're in, a, they're in a hell of their own making uh, because they are the embodiment of what James is describing here. So there's nothing magical about living in a small town in Ireland that somehow makes you feel like a, a living version of a leprechaun. I mean, it's just that... Um, it's an intentional decision to live a simple life as, as Augustine. Let's get really seriously philosophical and theological here. Augustine, the great Augustine, who wrote this magnificent opus called The City of God. I just saw it quoted uh, in, in um, the Wall Street Journal book review. Somebody wrote a book about it, and they totally got it wrong. They, they imposed on it a, a very thin, superficial misguided um, American progressive version, and I'm not against being progressive, I just want to define it properly, that the idea that, that the city of God was all about people, <laughs> the whole point of it is called the city of God. It's about God. And what, what Augustine tells us is that unless you order your life properly, you'll miss your opportunity to bless the city. Our church exists to bless the city. We're a missional movement of God's spirit like lots of churches are. Why? And why those people I mentioned early on when I started talking? Because they believe that the city belongs to God. God is the God of the city, even if the people in the city don't know it, accept it, or believe it. And so Augustine said the way we get there is to order our lives properly. That's what the, the, the Lord's Prayer is about. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, praised, glorified be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. You make this possible because you don't lead us into temptation. In fact, you deliver us from evil. You provide for our daily needs. 
In you resides all power and glory, dominion forever and ever. See, that's a, a prayer de- declaring how one orders a simple life. And we'll explore this a little bit more as we go. You know, the nation of Israel wrestled with this constantly, wanting so right, you know, to get it so right, and yet they got it so wrong because they would take their eyes off God and try to order their lives around their own needs, wants, and desires. And eventually got them into captivity. First the northern part of Israel, uh, the Galilee region, and then finally the southern part where Jerusalem is. And they're carried off into captivity. Ten of the tribes from the north never come back. Two of the tribes get to return and so by the 6th century B.C., there they are in Jerusalem. You, you know about Nehemiah and, and all that. And then later, now that they've done some early work to restore the city, it's still not done. It's been languishing for 16 years. And the people are super bummed out about that. They're discouraged. It's such a small, unimpressive start to what's supposed to be a very big, wonderful thing. And so God speaks to this prophet, Zechariah. And he speaks to these really interesting encounters, these highly symbolic encounters through visions and through the visitation of an angel. And so God gives the prophet Zechariah um, all these visions to help him see properly the situation he's in and, and to see it from God's perspective. This is the beginning of a simple life, starting to see things from God's perspective. Otherwise, like Brene Brown would say if she was standing here, we create our own stories in our heads. And the stories we come up with to explain what's going on are usually not very accurate. Because they start with us, and then from us we project onto them. And so through an angel, a messenger, uh, God gives Zechariah a message for Zerubbabel, who's basically the governor and responsible for getting this project restarted and back on track. And so everybody's wringing their hands about how they're going to do it. Uh, Well, if we were only as powerful as our adversaries and our enemies who surround us here, all these people and these other tribes who had moved in while they were in exile are going, you are going to fail and we're going to make sure that happens. And they were jeering them, not cheering them. And they would create obstacles for them to get their act together and distract them. To the point that the people were now, having been <laughs> redeemed from slavery by God himself and, and brought back into the land by God himself, now they're emulating, wanting to emulate the people around them, going, God, if we were like that, if we had, if we had that power, if we had that going for us, then maybe we could get this going. So the Lord gives Zechariah a message for Zerubbabel. By the way, if you're thinking about naming anybody anytime soon, I'm just saying you have other options. Zerubbabel, I mean, I, I, you know. Isaiah named his son Maher Shalal Hashbaz. What an easy name, just rolls off your... And it has a meaning, quick pickings, easy prey. These people are in danger because they're not looking at God. Now Zechariah, the... the, 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 the the generation of prophets following Isaiah is now going to bring this message to Zerubbabel about God's perspective and God's intention. He says this, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Order your life properly and you'll start to see things as they really, really are. Not as you think they are. And so he says this, Do not disdain small things. Do not disdain small things. We are a culture famous for disdaining small things. Now, granted, we love things to start small. We love nothing more than American success stories, the Horatio Alger stories, the American dream stories, which brought my family 
uh, on both sides here, probably brought your family here at some point. Maybe so far back you don't know, but everybody in this room is an immigrant in some way, some form. Unless you were the people providing the turkey at the first Thanksgiving, you are an immigrant. And so we love small things. Well, I started this way, and now look at, you know, da-da, and wow, it's great, impressive, fantastic, um, as far as it goes. But for something to be continuously small, mm, that's not good. It doesn't fit the uh, script. What did you do wrong? What are you doing wrong? What's holding you back? Well, one of the things that I think God did in bringing the people back to the land was to say, I want to convince them in a way that they seemed to be resistant to being convinced previously that I'm the one who makes their life significant or successful or substantive. And I'm okay with small things. <laughs> Coming up toward the end of the year, we'll celebrate a very small thing. And under the radar, unremarkable birth of a baby. So God is good with small things. And in our bigger is better world, we want might and power and we disdain small things. It's a natural part of who we are. Because to disdain, to, to accept small things is to settle for less, is to give up. And so we can so easily miss the significance of our lives by not paying attention to God. This is the brilliant message of the city of God from Augustine. And so this person who, is, who wrote this book, a brilliant scholar, is making this case that, well, no, it's really about the people getting it together. No. What happens is when the people focus on God, the people get it together. It's when the people think they're going to get it together and present it to God, you have things like the Tower of Babel. It doesn't work. And so God calls us to a simple life by removing the clutter that blinds us to his presence. What is the clutter in your life that is blinding you to God's presence in you or around you? Sometimes our problems can blind us. There's no God. Sometimes our success can blind us. Who needs God? <laughs> See, it works anyway on the continuum. If you're always starting with you, you'll always miss what's about him. Unless you start with you and you say, Lord, I need you. Here's, why I, here's where I am. That's powerful. So God calls us to a simple life by removing the clutter that blinds us to his presence in us. And so a simple life is not simplistic or superficial. Like, you know, I mentioned Vincent O'Mara. He was the antithesis of a superficial, uh, insignificant life. It's deeply profound and perceptive when you have a small life, as in a simple life. Now, your small life might affect a lot of people. I know people who have a massive impact in the world who live a very small life. Why? Because it's a very simple life. It's very uncluttered. That's what allows them to make an impact. Because they're very focused. That's what I'm going to talk about as we get into this. It's simply paying attention to what matters most and committing yourself to it. It's focusing. You want to have a simple life that has a significant impact in you and maybe from you? Get focused. Focusing on working out your core values is preferable to just wishing and whining <laughs> and worrying. Because that's my default. 
I wish it was different. I wish it was better. Who moved my cheese? We won. Whose idea was this? We won. Oh, now what's going to happen? We worry. This was Jesus' message in the Sermon on the Mount. You see this in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This does not sound like a winner's code. But is this, this is the winning code to living a simple life and a fulfilled life. Uh, why? Because being blessed is knowing God. That's what it means. Blessed are the, blessed are you. It just means, man, Baruch atah olam. Blessed are you because the God, the Lord, the King of the universe cares about you. How can it get better than that? It doesn't get any higher, any better, any more impressive, any more significant than that. The God of the universe cares about you. So being blessed is knowing him, walking with him, applying what we learn from him. And that's why living a blessed life isn't defined by age or stage or socioeconomic status or ethnicity. All those things are interesting and important, significant features in their own way. But they are not the thing that defines you or describes you adequately. And they're not barriers to you walking with God and being transformed by Him. They're entry points. God meets you where you are, in your age, in your stage, in your ethnicity, in your socioeconomic status. Basically, Jesus is saying, blessed are you because I am with you. Now follow me. Well, if we follow Him, what, first of all, how do you do that? And what does that look like when you do that? Well, um, I want to know a few things before I do that. Where is he leading me? If I follow him, where is he going to lead me? Well, I'll tell you what. He's going to lead you into trusting him and opening up massive portals and windows and doors and vistas for you to be breathtaking. He's going to lead you into risk. Sorry, but that's true. It's going to feel risky. It's going to take you outside your comfort zone. You're going to say, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough anything. I don't have enough, I'm not enough for that kind of risk. The price of admission. You have to trust him, you have to take the risk of walking with him, because he's going to lead you into some deep learning about you. He might use counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists. He might use wise mentors and guides. He might use formal educational structures. You might use all kinds of life experiences to, to move you into a place of deep learning and deep understanding about the world in you and the world around you. He's going to teach you how to live creatively. And all this by way of working out your faith. Faith takes us somewhere. That's why this guy was misunderstanding Augustine's great work, The City of God. Because he said, look, it, here's how it all works. All these people doing really enlightened things. No, here's how it works. It's about being lit up by the God who is the light of the world. And in his reflected glory, we start to make sense of and order properly the world we live in, because then what does it do? It corresponds with his love and justice and righteousness and wisdom and knowledge. 
his authority and sovereignty for having created us and given us the capacity to make a difference in the world we live in. That's why playing one song on a guitar, signing your name on it, and auctioning it off for 100 grand counts. It's a very unconventional thing to do, wouldn't you say? Uh, if you asked Jay, he would tell you, they sat around a tailor after they heard about it and said, no way. That's amazing. How did that happen? What happens when you order your life around God? All kinds of wild and amazing and wonderful things, sometimes very quiet things, very small things happen. So it's natural to, for us to confuse success and significance. Why? Because we, we're not always thinking about all the opportunity costs of the decisions we make, and the commitments we make. Opportunity costs mean you can't do everything at the same time. Every young man has this big startling moment. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're saying that if I commit to a marriage, I, what about all those women I can't date? The poor, poor population of women out there in the world who will not be able to date me. And this is the fantasy world that all young guys live in. You go, well, you know what? You're just darn lucky that girl might say yes. And if she does, you don't want a lucky dog. And pay attention to that, right? We confuse success and significance because we don't see the opportunity costs of not ordering our lives around God. The massive losses by avoiding those risks to walk with God. We also miss the hidden benefits, all those things that come our way, all those blessings that come from learning how to mourn properly or see God properly or go through loss properly or face success properly. All those things in the Sermon on the Mount. We forget that there are, there are some hidden benefits that are only, re, are only revealed when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. So if success is achievement and significance is the meaning we give to achievement and the meaning we get from achievement, to what end? How do we properly order our understanding of success and significance? You think that's obvious. Well, obviously, duh. Success is success. By whose standards? And significance is significance. Well, by whose standards? We, we, you know, it's like, a, it's like a tired, trite trope. The person who has everything and feels totally empty and unfulfilled. This is it. This is all there is. Everybody knows my name, but nobody really knows my heart. Everybody knows I'm wealthy, but everybody, everybody wants my money, and I don't know why, because I thought it was just about relationships, but I guess it's about money, and they're not going to get it. You see what happens? Prisons of our own making, because we don't understand success or significance. How about successful suffering? Really? Are you kidding me? Is that a category? Mm-hmm, yeah. Successful suffering. Well, no, no, isn't suffering a sign of failure? Sometimes, sometimes it's a sign of greatness. Some of the greatest people you'll ever meet are people who've learned to lean into suffering. Not wallow in it as victims, but to embrace it and say, okay, I'm going to trust God in the midst of this suffering. It might be perpetual, perennial. It might be lifelong. It might be seasonal. You don't know. There's dignity and grace in facing difficult things in the presence of God. Even when the world is looking at you going, wow, too bad, bummer. Glad I'm not you. Or what did you do wrong to get in that situation? Or, hey, just work harder. You'll get out of it. It's your fault, really. How about successful sacrifice? So sacrifice, this sounds like a loss to me. Well, it is. 
You lose a lot when you sacrifice. Ask any mother of any child. You made a sacrifice. You, you, you started doing things to love that child that were inconvenient for the rest of your life. You started changing your priorities. Maybe vocationally, maybe relationally. You still care about what, what you know and what you can do. You still care about your friends, but all of a sudden you're saying, I have a higher priority. I'm sacrificing my life for this child. Now, no mother I've ever met makes it sound like a big heroic thing. They make it sound like, well, no kidding, why wouldn't I? I love this child. I give my life for this child. That's why I'm living sacrificially. I'm patient when I'm disciplining them, even if they, even I have to give them a consequence of their undiscipline. And so the sacrifice that you make in life for meaningful things becomes sometimes the most significant thing you do and the most successful thing you do. So you see the topsy-turvy nature of our world. We, we are so confused. I said last week, and you've probably heard it before, we know the price of everything but the value of nothing often. We misassign the value and the price of things. That's why that commercial, you know, MasterCard, everything else is cost this, but this is priceless. You know, it's a great tag. So does faithfulness count as significant and successful? Yeah, faithfulness. Sometimes faithfulness it will never be realized until long after this life. Sometimes we see hints that our faithfulness is paying off dividends. Maybe that person you invested your life in who you helped lead to the Lord and now they walked away from the Lord and, and then they, they just avoid you because they're too embarrassed to talk about the fact that it didn't work for them. And you think, what a loss that I waste my life. Uh, think about the people who have given themselves to Christ and, and they serve Christ and they serve in the context of the church, they serve in the community, and at some point they get so tired because they feel like they haven't been appreciated. Probably haven't. Uh, they've been taken for granted. Probably have. Or the people they're trying to reach are, are resisting them. Maybe even mocking them. You see the cost of this? This is why we settle for smaller versions of success and smaller versions of significance. And so essentially, a simple life is a life of meaning and purpose. It's like Michelangelo in sculpting. What did, what did Michelangelo do? You've, you've heard this before. He was a subtractive sculptor. He practiced subtractive sculpting. He saw David and realized he was trapped in a block of marble. And so with hammer and chisel, he would free up David from that block of marble. He would free up the Pieta, the mother, you know, Mary holding Jesus. He would free up Moses. And everybody wonders, why does Moses have those horns? Those are not horns. Those are symbolic rays of light. The glory of God emanating from him because of his encounter on the mountain. So God uses both additive and subtractive things in the way that he frees us to be our true selves. And, and is taking away the stuff that we don't need and is adding the stuff that we do. And it's a simple thing. The simple lines of a beautiful uh, sculpture, you think, wow, that's elegant. How did they do that? It's, it's simple in the sense that we see what it's supposed to be and we're moved by it. But then we step back and realize, how did he ever do that? So we're designed by God, we're instructed by God's word to be curious and wonder, why am I here? What's my purpose? How do I understand my needs, my wants, my desires? How do I right-size my expectations? How can I give and receive love? What is my value? As we start to process those questions, we start to find out that success in the worldly sense is fine. But we're doing it from a whole different point of view on a different basis. We talked about this last week. Money is fine. It's how you understand it and how you handle it that is the issue. 
The significance of, of, of a reputation doing great things, 5,000 people showing up for Vincent O'Meara, awesome, wonderful. If, 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 it, if it really is pointing to the right thing, that there's a God who wants us to order our lives in a way that's so simple, it allows us to connect in the most meaningful way. Uh, you probably know the name Johnny Ive. If you're a techie, you definitely know the name Johnny Ive. Uh, if you use any techie stuff, uh, Johnny Ive is in your life. <laughs> Johnny Ive designed the iPhone, the iPad, the iPod, the AirPod, the Apple Watch. Johnny Ive, a simple guy from England who was a horrible student growing up, but loved to make stuff. Johnny Ive, one of the most impressive industrial designers of all time. He's a gifted designer, but his process is simple. Thinking, imagining, and reflecting on ideas. And when he's interviewed, if, if, if you've ever heard him speak or uh, read anything he says, he's a super down-to-earth guy. He's a guy, and the guy, you look at him, you go, oh my gosh, I bet I saw that guy at a soccer game or at a pub in England. And you see Johnny, brilliant, amazing. Why? And he will say it very simply. To make life better for people. 100%, that's his deal. I get a thrill out of making life better for people using stuff. Thinking about how they would use that stuff and, and making it so attractive that when they use it, uh, they're not like, oh, not this, but oh, this, this is neat. So he's, he's tapping into all those things that God has created us to appreciate. Natural beauty, beauty by design. So he doesn't disdain small things, but he considers them carefully. In fact, one of his big points in his life and his philosophy is, I just pay attention to the details. I want to make it as simple as I can make it. I want to make it so simple that when somebody sees it, they go, well, no kidding. Yeah, of course you do it that way. Because that's the way it fits in my hand. It works best. And then he, he works on improving it. Now, not everybody can design the things that Johnny Ive designs, but we can all design our life like he designs. That is to say, what is the most simple, uncluttered version of me that, that would allow me to walk with God and understand him and to see that he's connecting me to a world around me that I have something to contribute to at some level in some way, all of which God considers significant. Uh, some of you heard me say one time I was talking about work and the power of work and blessing people. And a guy came up to me and uh, um, I'm talking to all these people, all of whom ostensibly, you'd say, certifiably, these people have done significant things in life. So this guy is, is in this line of people. And he comes up and he says, oh my gosh, I so got what you were talking about today. I said, that's fantastic, thanks. And he said, and as he's talking, I realized he's a super um, simple guy. I said, wow. Um, he said, yeah, yeah, I, every day. That's how I approach my work. I said, what is your work? He said, well, I, I work at San Diego State, and I see all these students studying so hard, and they're, they're so busy. And when they come into that student union, I want to make those tables so clean and so uncluttered. And now, at this point, uh, my eyes are filling up. And the people standing around me who are kind of listening in are going, and as this guy continues to talk about what motivates him and how that sermon was just calling it what it is for him, I'm thinking, who, you should have been doing this sermon, you know? And he said, yeah, this is how I approach it. I just I want to make this so good for these students. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this guy is 
is twins separated at birth from Johnny Ive. The way he's approaching his life. He wants to make life better for people. And you think about it, it's so simple. I said, well, how do you do that? He goes, well, I clean the tables, I smile at them, I ask them if they need anything, can I get something for you? I'm like, this is genius, this is so inspiring. So we can thoughtfully design a simpler life, making life better for ourselves and the people in our lives. It's not, you know, selling all your stuff and moving to the woods. That's a cop-out, usually. Think of all the Californians that moved to Oregon to make life better, and they made Oregon worse. And, and they're now miserable because they get mugged every day somewhere in, in, in Portland, and they can't you know, get anywhere because it's so busy. Um, so that doesn't work. It's more like saying, okay, God, what are you doing in me? And what does that look like as I am me in you, wherever I am? Moving isn't going to get it for you. Escaping isn't going to get it for you. Buying something or selling something necessarily isn't going to get it for you. It's paying attention to him. So unclutter your mind. Unclutter your heart. Unclutter your emotions. Unclutter your material possessions. Unclutter your living spaces. If you walk into one of the shops on Girard that is filled with expensive old junk, it's overwhelming. You go, too much stuff. Too much stuff that I, I, I can't even handle it. When you walk into some place that is well curated, as they say, what do you see? You start to see things. There's a place in Texas called Canton, a little tiny town. It's like the largest garage sale in the, in the world. It's like this giant lawn sale, garage you know, thing, empty your garage, and it's like acres and acres and acres, so much so that you have to rent a cart and sit in this little cart and drive around. And it's just massive amounts of stuff. I went there one time with our daughter Lauren and Janet and I were there and I'm walking around going, oh, I'm getting a headache. It's just too much stuff. And I said, this is not, Lauren, why are we even here? This is not even like the stuff in your house. She goes, Dad, all the stuff in our house came from here. I'm like, what? Here? She goes, yeah, I just have a way of, she didn't say this, I said, well, you have a way of seeing it and then when you put it in its proper perspective, it's awesome. And, and some of you in this room do that professionally. You just know how to look at things and make them work. You can walk into anybody's room and go, hey, if we just did this and that and this, we don't need that, add this here. Also, the room comes together and you think, how did you do that? Well, I just want to make it simple and livable. This is what we're talking about. So maybe start by washing your car, <laughs> cleaning your room, making your bed, uh, work your way out of debt, smile more, be present to God and people. Edit your closet, clean the garage, give away stuff, live more with less. Offer to help, ask for help. Start to take some practical steps. The goal isn't 5,000 people at your wake. That'd be a really bad goal. It'd be a foolish goal. The goal is living each day as if it were your best and your last day. I had to sum up Vincent. That's how, that he lived every day like it was the best day ever. And his last day according to his family, as he died peacefully at home, was the best day ever. It was the last day, but he died as he lived. And we do this not because life is a contest or a competition, but because it counts to God, it counts to you and us. Your life counts. Your life matters. So don't discount your life. Johnny Ives says to every design student he talks to, do not discount your talent. Do not discount your life. 
Don't compare yourself to me or anybody else. Be you and see where that creativity leads you. Don't discount your life. Simplify it. How? Focus it. Cherish it. Share it. In Christ you have enough. In Christ I have enough. Together in Christ we have enough. In fact, that's a great confession of faith. In Christ I have enough. Would you say that with me? In Christ I have enough. Let's say it one more time. In Christ I have enough. What does that mean? I have enough to start. I have enough to continue. I have enough to correct. I have enough to build on. I have enough to to see what I can let go of. You see how powerful it is? And it's from knowing Christ that that comes our way. And as we consult, consult all the experts, all those people who are good advisors, good at things that we're not, because we have Christ's perspective, we know when, when we're listening to something that's true and something that's not. So come to his table, let him fill you with his presence. His word is filled with treasure, his spirit fills you with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. He wants to fill us, and it's so simple. It just starts with being present to him. So how much is enough? Everything he promises to provide for us at every age and stage in life is enough. The rest is just details. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus uh, took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given for you. And in the same manner, he, he took a cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this, do this in remembrance of me. He took the Passover meal and he applied it to himself. He basically said, I am the sacrificial lamb. I'm the one that's going to free you from captivity. I'm going to lead you into the promised land. I want to invite those who are going to be serving communion uh, to come forward and, and, and to the tables. And after I pray, you hear some music. And whenever you're ready, you, you just go to one of these tables and you'll take one of those little cups. And I strongly suggest you take the little bread piece first uh, and eat that. And then open up and, and uh, drink the unfermented grape juice uh, that's in there. Because this is what reminds us that we belong to Christ. And if you've been far from him and you think, I'm not worthy, you are worthy. Come in his name and you're worthy. He makes you worthy. Uh, if you don't know Christ, this is not something you feel pressured to do. If you don't know Christ, this is really, it calls judgment on you, saying, I believe in Christ, and if you don't, then that, that's an awkward thing. But if this is the day that you're feeling like, hey, I want to start believing in Christ and walking with Christ, you come and receive communion as well. It just means communion. Uh, sometimes it's called the Eucharist, the, the Thanksgiving. Uh, Greek for thank you. Sometimes it's called the Lord's Supper because it's a symbol of a larger supper that God invites us to at his banquet table. In any case, all who come in the name of Jesus are welcome to receive uh, uh, the bread and, and, and the wine. So Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for this magnificent gift you bestowed on us, the gift of our humanity uh, and the gift of your divinity. And that, you, Lord, you have made us to be in relationship with you and you want us to know that you are the God of the city and that the city desperately needs you, what you alone can provide. And in you, Lord, we have enough. Teach us to live a simple life that we can identify success and substance and significance for what it really is. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Come receive communion whenever you're ready.
It's a great name because of the great things he has done. It's a great name because of the things and the great things he will do. Don't discount him and don't discount you because you and him is a winning combination. If we can pray for you about anything that you bring with you today, maybe for yourself or for somebody else or some other situation, go right around the corner to the lovely little garden, uh, prayer garden, and people will be there to pray with you. Get something to eat. As I say, this, this, this army marches on its stomach, so get something to eat. Come back um, at, uh, I guess technically 11, time change. Uh, our clock is off back there, so I'm doing the math. It's, come back in 20 minutes here, and we're going to uh, continue with our Alpha series, this amazing uh, film series that, that uh, was put together in London, and 20 million people have been watching it and, and, and benefiting from it about a 20-minute film, and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, how this life we're talking about is only possible because of the Holy Spirit. So uh, if you haven't been to it, just come today. Um, and, and at the end of it, if you want more content that'll help you do your own Bible study on the Holy Spirit, I'll, I'll, I'll have one on my phone. I'll give you that 25-part um, study if you want that. Uh, but in any case, prayer, food, alpha. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. That is, may his face shine his glory upon you, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for being here today.